and welcome to Seize the GM. If you're looking to get started GMing, we're here to help. And if you're a GM with a few levels under your experience belt, we are here to help you find your prestige class. Let us take you through some common questions, concerns, and the fun challenges that every GM will face. We have our ideas, our opinions, and some might even say answers that we want to share. So pull up a chair, dust off your dice, and let us help you seize the GM. Hello, and welcome back for another episode of Seize the GM. Oh. no no i'm kidding it was just like i just like all that hype and then i'm like oh wait a minute it's just us (laughs) right it's just us it's fine we're good coin flip on who the hell's wearing pants oh i'm in shorts i got a sarong okay (laughs) it's too hot here to wear pants right now oh god yeah and raining Uh, i don't have rain lucky Uh uh-huh uh, so FYI, but, if there's a boom in the background, it's probably for my, and I am sorry in advance. <laughs> We're dealing with crazy weather during the recording hours in more than one of our locations. And so if things happen, things happen. Whether or not it's fixed in post is entirely up to whether or not the weather happens to the person who does the post. That, yeah, that's true. But we're going to keep talking about what is our consistent theme for the entirety of the season, our goal of building out, fleshing out an entire setting for a campaign based on what we've talked about as far as adventure and and campaign design for the last 150 episodes. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The inevitable march of time (laughs) keeps going forward. It is. And just as an FYI, for everybody that is going to be paying attention, about the time this comes out will be the beginning of the dog days of podcasting. And I am going to be trying to do snippet little bits, anywhere between like three and five minutes, building out additional things for our setting for the entire month, every day. Damn. Yeah, I'm going to try to do that. Mm. I was actually thinking about doing (laughs) that, but then we found out, well, (laughs) uh, Zip, you know, you know, Zippy busted his, uh, busted his other ankle, not the one with the titanium, the other ankle. And went back to the doctor's like, no, no, you just have a really, really deep bruise. So it's st- it, the bones healed, but he's got so much other just damage under there. I'm like, stuff. Ugh. Yeah. So they said, yeah, you're, it's showing your vitamin D deficient. And I just started giggling because I'm five years old. Say, Zippy needs the D. I'm like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> So, in in going on with our our lovely yeah, speaking of post apocalyptia because that's made my life hell. It's like, ugh. well, speaking of hell, post apocalyptia, we're going a little bit deeper. So, what's today's? What are we doing for today to make post apocalypse the post apocalypse we all know and love? 
Well, if you've followed along so far in the last several episodes, you'll know that we settled on a a sci-fi post-apocalyptic setting to work and build out. Last episode, we talked about some of the themes and some of the overarching kind of conceits that would go into that kind of a setting. And today we're going to build out kind of the, the rough skeleton of the setting itself. Now, we talked about uh, potential locales like asteroids or messing with science so you could have little scout ships that can leave and come back while the main ship has to still kind of get stuck within real physics. We'll deal with that in a later episode. Yes. This is about the baseline default setting and the relationship the party will have to it. Think about um, like Waterdeep for D&D, Seattle for Shadowrun, uh, Save and Earthdawn, the, the kind of default where your first tavern is yeah actually that's a really good way of kind of putting it it's it's where you where you all said hi to your game and where you're pretty much going to be going back it's you know it's where you're going to park your keister if you can park it that would be auto duel which is a whole other game and setting but for now (laughs) (laughs) coming in a future episode hopefully the the conceit of this is that you guys that the the party the group whatever it is is on this generational arc ship so the basics of the setting is actually going to be the arc ship itself because while you may go to these potential asteroids or other planets you know that are going to expand the horizons of the actual world itself and the universe that it takes place in this is going to be the, the the centerpiece. The bread and butter of everything. Because all the rest of those things, we're going to, like we said, like Gautamage said before, we're going to tackle some of those additional pieces as some additional locales and things like that that we're going to go into more later. Yeah. If, but this is going to basically be... This is the house. Focusing just on the... Yes, the house. Because yeah, the thing is, like, if you're thinking about it, the other stuff we were talking about, you know, there might be like the outdoor swing set or or the shed, the garage, the park down the street. But this is the house. This is where everyone's, you know, pretty much going to be. This is, it, it's the biggest influence, I guess, I would say almost environmentally um, on your party, especially in a, yeah. especially in a uh, post-apocalyptic setting, because the, the the setting is what makes it post-apocalyptic. So you have to, you know, make it comfortable enough that they're not just going to, you know, ding-dong ditch what you're doing, but still, you know, get them attached to it, get them I don't, kind of invested in it. But also, no, this isn't going to be the, the cuddly, warm, snuggly bed they're going to come home to, but it's theirs. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... My my kind of idea was that each of these, for lack of a better term, sections of the ship are are massive. I mean, you could theoretically do entire campaigns without ever leaving a single section. Because a generation ship has to be that big to make it work. To for go me. for generations yeah for, for me in my mind we're talking about something that was the size of a continent not not quite full moon sized but 
large enough that it's reasonable that your characters may never have seen the other sections. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Within each of these sections, you know, some of us have cobbled together kind of a rough idea, and then uh, we've added some points of interest, some areas or NPCs or things that we can potentially expand on later or that give you an idea of where we're going with the concepts. And this is not an exhaustive list, clearly, as one of the other things that most of us have learned is that it's best to leave play in the joints, to leave some room in the map, literally and figuratively, for the game and the players to kind of fill in. Yeah. Even even the top-down designer, even the over-preparing, I have a whole 60-plus pages already for my only two-month-old homebrew world that I'm running in, it has a whole lot of empty space and unnamed points on the maps. And it should. But, so, I think what we need to do first is we need to kind of lay out what are those sections of the ship. Now, again, this is just some of the bigger ones based on some of the stuff that we've already kind of talked about in some of the themes and ideas that we wanted to use. And so that would be, you would have things like the life sciences section of the ship. And then you're going to have to have some kind of engineering section of the ship. And don't forget about storage or bulkheads, kind of the, the great undefined storage areas of the ship. Because those are going to be huge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a multi-generational going on forever and ever kind of a thing. You're going to have store stuff. Uh, you yeah. also have the, the, uh, the command section. You know, this is you know, all the big controls where everything, you know. Think the bridge in Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much that was my idea when when I when I proposed it. Yeah. I mean it doesn't have and to look that clean, one... so but <laughs> Oh god, no. <laughs> no. Um and then the last one that I was thinking of was like a civilian welfare section <laughs> of the ship. <laughs> so <laughs> we're not gonna do that one first. So let's go ahead and start with... Now, the idea with this was to give a little bit of information about each of the sections and then maybe like, maybe a locale, maybe a, a, an NPC, something. There's going to be something else. Now, again, this is just the most basic beginnings. A lot of these are going to be further developed especially during dog days, because I'm going to have to come up with lots and lots of material. <laughs> and also 30, if, 31 things. If you followed along, you know, we plan on compiling and expanding a bunch of this into more complete written material at the end of the season. Yeah. Are you a member Which of the we'll Patreon? Probably take. Oh, Patreon members may well get it because they're special. If they aren't special, if you haven't joined the ranks of those on the Patreon, you might have to like go put a few dollars into something that sells you PDFs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It keeps the lights on. It does keep the lights on. If we trade that for anyway, different story. Yeah. That's a totally different story. 
Where would you like to start in our tour of the Ark ship? Well, let's go ahead and start with the life science section, since that was the first one on the list that I put down. (laughs) Life sciences section is more than where you can just find the best medical care. It's also going to have the hydroponics, uh, the green water and air recycling facilities. You, You have the equivalent of a lush jungle of an unexplored planet in the middle of the ship. Now, less than optimal crew complement means there are rumors of entire villages or groups of something not quite human, but that's probably just those crazy engineering section people spreading the lies again. Or meerkats. <laughs> or meerkats. Yeah, but the, the, thing, the, the thing with this is, though, it, it allows, at least for me, it, putting this kind of a section in one also kind of gives a little bit of just the the green earth familiarity and it you know for people that are kind of like okay i'm not exactly sure where the super techie thing to jump off with but you know how to run like a creepy monster in the jungle congratulations this is a good place to start but then you can start adding in other elements it's it's a little bit of fun there yeah well, it also gives us one of the first entryways to one of the themes that uh, we, we kind of cobbled together from our different ideas for you know the post-apocalyptic setting. And the idea that there may be some genetic drift away from baseline humanity going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is Yeah, and this is basically where all of those things would likely start exactly are are at even like the the original raw genetic code all of that stuff is here well it was there was there it was there a few generations ago could still be there who knows don't ask questions smile and nod smile and nod yes (laughs) so what do we have as far as do we have locations? Do we have? I've got a location NPCs? idea. And I had, I yeah. had a, I had a, a I had an NPC, uh, a non-organic one, but a Garmaja, you go first. You're just as cooler. Oh yeah, not necessarily cooler. It's just the Great Expanse is that needed 160 acres of lush grassland with genetically modified three-meter-tall grasses. Not only do you get a rotational planting-rich soil or loam from the decomposing refuse dumped in there that the grass helps break down, but you also have this huge CO2 sink that helps maintain the entire system. Mind you, nobody knows exactly how deep the roots of these grasses reach. At least three floors below the expanse are, are blocked off on the ship schematics. And nobody's admitted to finding a way to tell if it really is just soil or something more in those three floors underneath the body corpse eating genetically modified grass. Okay. Okay, no buried treasure digging then. Well, I mean, maybe it's exactly treasure. (laughs) There's one way to find out. It's probably not the safest way, <laughs> but it could be very interesting. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I like, it. I like that. And Jules, All right, so yeah, you said you've got an NPC yeah. to uh, also kind of help populate the area. Yeah. Uh, Gaia Analysis. Uh, Gaia Analysis, or Gaia A, is a top-of-the-line science AI. Uh, she works assisting pretty much anyone who comes into the life sciences section. Uh, 
she's a lack of a better term, a soothing disembodied female voice. And she acts as a teacher, a research assistant, doctor, data analyst, therapist, and even a friend. Some of the old timers would call her like super Siri or like ultra Cortana. Because it's like, we talk to our phones sometimes, you know, they'll take over those old, old habits. And she also works to gather real-time data uh, regarding all the biological specimens on the ship, both in there and all throughout the other areas. Um, and it's both sentient biological specimens and none. So she'll study the grass and then she'll study the weevils and then she'll study her kid picking his nose. But she's still just a program, very sophisticated, but it does leave her vulnerable to code corruptions. And if the hardware on which she resides is ever damaged, her and all of her capabilities and data and analysis could be lost forever. Oh, wow. I like that. Yeah, because, well, let's just put it this way. We're talking, when Zip got his first smartphone, he turned it on, started yelling at it. It's like, you're not smarter than me. And the voice I searching for, not smarter than me. And yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what gave me the idea. <laughs> he has, it was his first yeah. Android. And <laughs> I get that. I get that. So All right. after we leave Life Sciences, it might not be directly next to it, but what is the next section we're all visiting? That would be our engineering section. Ooh. Okay, the fact and, that Gardamon and, and I both up, did that, I mean, we're both on the same. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, a misshapen MC Escher design of winding corridors with questionable gravity. This is what makes the engineering section a habitat left for the fearless or optionless. Uh, the inherent danger of a long forgotten experiment run amok or just a shifting mass of supplies precariously balanced on an outcropping means being constantly alert and constantly tired. Uh, you do get really whiz trinkets and gear if you can live long enough to make them work consistently. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what do we have in here yeah. that we're going to we're going to touch on? Oh, I think you really have to talk about the Tinker's Guild because when you had the command structure kind of collapse in the first generation or two, the children of the original engineering crew ended up turning a tween gang that they had going on into a functioning guild. It doesn't hurt that the scrappy little ragamuffins are the most adept at tinkering and repairing parts of the ship. Now, dealing with them can feel a lot like trading chocolate for bullets, but you have to do what you have to do. And the Tinker's Guild's twinkling eyes and mischievous nature make them especially dangerous in the enclosed space of the Ark. <laughs> oh, fun. So wait, okay, so you've got this whole entire... Now, eventually you would graduate out of the, the Tinker's Guild... You would think so, but nobody's seen any of them over the age of uh, 14 or 15. Nice. <laughs> yeah, either that or it could be, oh, God, remember Kids Next Door, where even even after you became an official teen, you were no longer part of the official registry, but yeah. Right. I like it. Perhaps, perhaps a future expansion will delve more deeply into the Tinker's Guild structure and exactly what happens when you age out, if you actually do age at all as a member of the guild. <laughs> Fun. All right. And then I, I see this, <laughs> the next thing. Uh, 
which I'm I'm almost afraid to see what it is. Oh, you know me. Well, the thing is, like, I had the idea, but I'm like, all right, how the hell did it come across? And then I read Gardemondre's thing. I'm like, holy crap, thank you. You finished mine. And I came up with something <laughs> called Duct Goo. It's a lovely little product I'm thought up and then made real by the Tinker's Guild. Old school duct tape has been used in uh, for vari- for various engineering flash repairs for a very, very long time. So why not improve the go-to quick fix? Necessity being the mother of invention and all that. Uh, the guild actually took into account the need for it to work in a wide variety of environments, irradiated, extreme heat, cold, zero gravity, underwater, don't ask, and came up with an amorphous substance that will take on specific qualities when exposed to different electromagnetic frequencies. Once exposed, the solid remembers, quote-unquote, its properties, and then works to duct tape whatever is broken in place so it could be fixed more permanently at a later date. The thing is that this substance requires, requires unique and very rare ingredients to make. So while it's effective, it does have to be used sparingly. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, because if you end up burning through a bunch of stuff, then you don't have it for something else that you may But if you need something to fix needing. the reactor, you know, you put it like, all right, this thing is going to tape the, tape the hole shut, you know, and be radiation <laughs> resistant. So, <laughs> okay, that's hilarious for the record. <laughs> so I was just thinking, it's just like you're not going to be go- doing super spiffy, you know. Even if you can't just fix it, duct tape it. It's just like, how how many of us? It's like, even with glasses, our own glasses, we've duct taped the damn thing. I, I refuse to answer that question. On the grounds it may incriminate as a you. Child, as a child of the 80s, <laughs> I've never done that. Hey, I've made a corset out of duct tape. Don't give me any of that. <laughs> I had a wallet of duct tape at one point. <laughs> so. All right. So the next section that we're going to talk about is the storage and bulkhead section. So this is where any and all raw materials scavenged or brought with are stored. Also unidentified items, which need to be analyzed for usefulness and safety are usually kept here in isolation to prevent accidental contamination. Depending on the day event, situation the place can look like a tetris expert organized it or the aftermath of somebody shaking a logo box everywhere writ large the area can also be used as an impromptu research station as the need arises neat i love this (laughs) all right so we got we got a couple of things here what do we got we got oh we got research block zeta and coming across strange and unique organic and inorganic materials is almost expected on this journey. And Research Block Zeta is set up with various scanning and analyzing tools, as well as storage containers. Standard storage containers from flasks and tattoos are mingled with high-powered magnetic and plasma bottles. And while this research area is a lot less organized than the ship's lab, many researchers enjoy the rustic and cutting-age of science feel of the area. It's also the most dangerous assignment for any of the science-minded since they have no idea what may be stored next to them or what may happen when a power fluctuation lowers the containment strength of the magnetic bottle. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's fun. 
Hey, we've all seen those God, sapien I, I, science I just, labs, remember? <laughs> this this section right here, this little part of this section, almost demands a random chart. I was going to discuss random charts before we were done because <laughs> yeah, deep and abiding love. Yeah, we will have some of those in there. We have to. Oh, God, yes. it, it, but it's not all fun and games in the bulkheads and in storage because one undisputed fact about it is that there is a predator that stalks its darkened recesses slipping in and out of different storage areas and bulkheads. The killer called the Lemurian Wyvern has been a threat to lone arkers for over a century. The best information anyone can share or is willing to share is that victims are often damp with water, rent with sharp and devastating claws or maybe blades, and branded with a wyvern somewhere on their body when found. It is a constant tension because the beast's origin can't be found in the computer system. Even Gaia-A is at a loss for what could be causing this. And so many believe an alien infiltrated the ship, while others claim a supply of the command section to keep the other sections in line. And some, well, some just think that a fungus got into the wheat. Cool. I like I le- oh my nice not okay okay just like, the, like the, the the fungus and the wheat thing is is i i could high five you for that that is awesome yeah i'm sorry i like that reference garde manger Mwah. He. Oh, Sorry, that is that is that is good. I know it's like because because <laughs> i actually know that story and it and it makes uh-huh. the thing is like for me it's just like okay okay and i i love that Oh, sorry. Beautiful. Sorry. That was good. <laughs> just, it just made me smile. All right. So speaking of the command section, let's go ahead and talk about them. So the command holds an outsized importance on the arc, and the vast majority of controls for the arc's functions reside there. But these systems come with the downside of being the most frequently malfunctioning. The high-tech, high-demand computers require constant upkeep, which means inhabitants of command are constantly trading favors and resources to keep not only their little corner running, but the ship flying in the direction that it's supposed to be flying. So it looks like we've got one person here. There is an NPC. That would be Lieutenant Grigori Hayabusa. Inheriting the title of lieutenant from his father, who inherited it from his father before him, and who inherited it from his father before him, or maybe he's the one who won it in some sort of ceremonial competition. Grigori is best described as a well-intentioned buffoon. Grix, as he's also called, though rarely to his face, can't seem to help but stumble over his own ideas and plans. Perhaps it is the insulation from any responsibility growing up in the lap of technological luxury that kept him from actually internalizing the skills of either of his parents. Or perhaps it's the well-hidden extratemporal lobe that showed up in an early brain scan. A quietly dangerous and calculating inhabitant of the command section, Grigori may harbor more answers than his inept appearance seems. Likely one of the first people to take notice of the PCs, Lieutenant Hayabusa could be an ally or an enemy, depending on just how things shake out to his advantage. 
Nice. <laughs> perfectly. Oh, nice. And it, dude, you just perfectly reintroduced the whole kind of, I, I don't want to say battle for supremacy, but that whole weird, even it, even when you ha all have to depend on each other for survival, there are machinations and scheming that humans just can't seem to stop. I tried to lean into the post-apocalyptic themes we discussed, even if it's not yeah. my first inclination. But the thing is, though, that you how it was done. But Grix, yeah, Grix is Grix is harmless. He's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, but the thing right. is, like, if they actually end up becoming friends and allies, that means also they made. It's like you ally with one, you end up not allying with another. So it's it's just how you did that. I love it right. beautifully. <laughs> nice. All right, and at least like the last basic place, I think, because depending on what your PCs are or whatever, is the civilian welfare section. <laughs> it's probably the most important section. Uh, it's actually is the most important section for a generational long trip, and it's now the biggest wreckage of the ship. With little to provide a structure to its place, civilian welfare was the first area stripped of useful materials and mined of its components as immediate repairs had to be made in the first few decades. Perhaps the Arkers will come to regret having cannibalized our own civil society, but it was in the name of pure survival. The miles and miles of rundown and abandoned shops, faux parks, and recreational expanses are dotted with outcasts and exiles who couldn't find a way to keep their wits in the horizonless arc, coupled with the ever-present question <clears throat> of whether any particular room has been exposed to the vacuum of space. Taking a walk on the welfare side is to take your life into your own hands, if you are that lucky. Nice. So... What's the first thing you do in a crisis? Panic? <laughs> yep. And or lose your goddamn uh, mind. Panic and yeah. loot. Loot. Mm -hmm. Yep. Now, there is an NPC that is attached to this that can work in a number of different ways, and that's Felix Chin. Because Felix is the person most likely to slip into and out of the other sections with special deals from the civilian welfare leftovers. Felix is the head of a roughly organized chain of smugglers and gray market dealers who provide access to nearly anything you can imagine, often made from parts or pieces of a bygone recreational era. A special deal this week only and found virtually untouched by vacuum by yours truly. What is it? A box, my dear girl, a box. What is in the box? What is in the box? <laughs> that, fun i don't know why that kind of reminds me of oh crap i forget it, it, it was done by the guy that uh did the ghosts in the shell uh and uh i think it was ghost or akira anime but it was like that something egg where you know the, the girl doesn't know believes in the future kind of a thing so ooh, yeah <laughs> it's like do yeah. you want to open the box and lose all the the mystique <laughs> yeah ooh well done, sir. That's fun. Well done. You, All right. Well, you always need someone in that kind of gray market, black market smuggler role when you're setting up a campaign in a setting. There's yeah. always something going on there. And I just thought that this would be a fun way to explore that with Felix. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I will be definitely building off of and adding to all of these things and, and bits that were left in all of them over, over the month of August. So I think about the time this comes out, it will have already started. So you may not understand what's going on, but once you hear this episode, you will then be able to understand what is going on. <laughs> well, and that can happen sometimes. You can end up a little bit you know, out of sorts and not really ready, which is part of why we here at Seize the GM do need to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor and keep the lights on. Yeah, yeah. The 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 folk, the folk. Yeah, because it's it's Matt. Um, we love you, Matt. You are you are aces. He is the proprietor of Tabletop Land, which is a RPG marketplace for yeah, a, a platform for selling handmade and everything there is supposed to be handmade or small company like a couple of people it's a focused platform for gamers to be able to sell handmade goodies terrain books our own zen has this really wonderful habit of making you know books and he will sell them on there there are unique miniatures for different games it is an opportunity for every single one of you who have how best can i put this not-so-hidden talents you love that you want to maybe try your hand at selling selling a few of <laughs> maybe not dive full-time but to explore that passion to do it with a focused audience there yeah. are a lot of different platforms on there that can facilitate peer-to-peer selling this is one that is aimed exactly at who you dear listener would want to have eyes on your items it's for yeah. tabletop gamers it's for war gamers. It's for geeks and nerds of all stripes who have not only a passion, but a talent that they would like to share with whoever is willing to help them pay for the next piece of equipment they're going to make the next piece of toys with. Yeah. Yeah. I I am definitely, I need to, I keep saying this, I need to get some photos done of some of my books and and put them up there. Get a little light box. Get a I, photo. I got to make one of those. It's a light box. If you don't want to make it, you $15 you can find one. Setting up a setting up a selling, let's say setting up yourself as a seller on tabletop.land is simple. It's efficient and what's more, if you tell them sees the GM sent you, you will get our unending and undying love and affection. Yes. Yes, you will. We call that a value add in the biz. It is a value add. So, now that that's done, we, let's go ahead we still, and We love you. And guys, if you sell something really cool on the site, let us know. Tell us what you sold and, and you know, you know what you did to make it cool, stuff like that. And let us know the next time you're selling another one, please. Yeah. And, and you can do that by reaching out to us on any of our amazing number of social network things that we do. Everything like, rate, the- review, subscribe, find us on all the important <laughs> social medias. Make sure you invite your friends to the Facebook page. Join us on Discord. Even we become a Patreon. We don't have a Facebook page. 
Discord. They can go looking for it. <laughs> you messed up my flow there. I had it going. It was a nice one. I, I know, but I have to... We don't you got antsy and you, you nuked the Facebook page. So, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, only farmers. Find us wherever you can, and we will be happy to hear from you. Especially on yes. Patreon. Yes. Enlightened anyway. self-interest pays for the hosting. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so, um, now that all of those fun things are done, let's hit our closing remarks and wrap this bad boy up. You go first. Me? Yeah. Okay, uh, so I have been looking for a new GM go bag for quite a while because a backpack, while it's cool, the damn things are just... Ugh. If you've ever had to carry a bunch of minis and maps and books, and it's just too much. You can't fit all of it in there conveniently. So I found... My local game store had one of these. Well, they have like five of them, but they have these uh, game bags. They're from a company called Enhance. Generally, they sell computer stuff, but they also do this line of RPG related like bags, and they've got some dice and dice towers and all kinds of other really cool things. And Holy crap, you can store everything. I've got like seven D&D books in mine with the map on the outside and all of my dice and my pencils and like, I mean, everything. And it's just on like a little bit bigger than like five books thick. Like it, it it's really like a little bit bigger than the size of a book, but like three or like five or six books deep. One of the features they've got that I really like is the ability to uh, strap your battle map in either on its own or in a, a case to it. It's got, oh, it's designed to have those, that little spot where you can toss the scroll case and yeah. clip it to the outside. So it's you've so got the, nice. it's, it's <laughs> elegant. It's beautiful. It's, it's really well done. They, they did a really, really cool job with them. They're, if you buy the base one, the basic one, the one I link to is the one that I actually have. But they have a, a slightly more basic version, which is like a third of the price or two thirds of the price of what that one is. So it's it's cool. They're they're really durable. Um, I I love mine. I I really do. So that is that's my um. Shout out there. <laughs> All right, Jules, what do you got? Uh, okay. Um, I, I needed something silly. Uh, so I, I, I've been playing uh, Makai Kingdom. It came out on PC. It, was re it came out originally on the PS2, but uh, it was released for uh, Switch, PC, the whole nine yards. It's a turn-based kind of grid-esque type video game. Uh, if any of you guys ever played Final Fantasy Tactics or like those kind of games, that's what the mechanics are. But that's where the similarities stop because it is so over the top, campy, in your face, stupid, silly. And it, I, I can't stop laughing, you know, because I play this and you're, you're you know, you, you recruit things. It's like, and you've got like the, 
Lorzetta, the the most powerful overlord in the in the netherworld, and he pulls a stupid and binds himself to the book that creates his netherworld, and then destroys his netherworld. But the the thing is like it's the quotes you get. It's just like. I'm sorry. It's like, I'm playing a little bit. I'm laughing a little bit. Then all of a sudden, Lizetto just yells, I'm going to overlord your faces off. And I lost it. <laughs> so that's just, that's I, the I level of why. maturity you're getting right there. I mean, the, the people that make it is, uh, is Nippon Ichi, uh, uh, is Nippon Ichi Entertainment. And they're the ones that also have done like Disgaea and stuff like that. So, but, oh my God, the, the biggest thing is though I like it is you know how we usually have the the uh, you know it's not this one isn't actually full grid based you could it's very organic you can move your dudes pretty much anywhere you want rather than just keeping them on a square which is kind of nice you know uh, makes it a little bit more difficult for certain things but other things it's it's actually quite nice but also the team up attacks are hilarious because if you're standing next to dudes and you've got and they're all like, you know, really liking each other. They'll join up and sometimes they'll just, you know, oh my God, one guy will just like hold, he holds the bad guy, but the other guy just gut punches him. It's great. <laughs> so, nice. I, I, if you want to, it's, it's so you get like that whole little puzzle solve, but you're laughing. So it's, it's good for your brain. Okay. So, so Gardemanger, what do you recommend it for us? What do you like? Well, I am going to say that people should check out the Ms. Marvel TV show that is currently, as we're recording, wrapping up on Disney+. Plus. It's coming off of a breakout Smash comic book that was a reimagining of a quintessential Marvel comic story about a teenage outsider has to come to grips with a special powers in a world that doesn't automatically love them. And it reimagines that reimagining in a really elegant way that doesn't just seamlessly add it to the MCU uh, while having to deviate from the comic book origins for reasons that occur, but it does it with a wit, a charm, and a poignancy other shows have lacked. It's got a universality to its writing and its sensibilities, but it also is very specifically rooted in the character's background as you know, Pakistani American, and it addresses issues like the partition, and it does it in a way that I have seen people say it, it gave them a sense of uh, belonging on TV. They could see references for their families they don't usually see on TV, and as someone who also occasionally has that kind of chuckle when there's that moment where you see something that is not an inside joke, but you know, not everybody got it. Uh, nice. uh, so I, it, it's, I'm not part of that culture, and yet I understand enough from how it's presented to be right there with it the whole time. Nice, that's cool. That is very cool. And well, with with that. It's time for you to think about this setting and what you would add to this generational arc ship or what sections maybe you think would be a great place to start your own adventuring party by the time we're done with this season. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So until next time. Roll some dice. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. We're we're using some new recording software, folks, so we're getting our times off, so... One of these days, we'll actually, like, completely have it perfectly set out and ready and marked, and... No. The technology is still. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, have fun. Roll some dice. Play some games. And we'll see you back here next time. (laughs) On Seize the GM. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for checking in. It was a blast sharing our thoughts and ideas on our time. We hope that you had a great time with us and could hardly wait to share the next show. In the meantime, let us know how you handled this topic in your own games. You can find us on most social media platforms, especially Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow us, search for Seize the GM. And if you just want to follow one of us, search for our names on the social media platform of your choice, or go to SeizeTheGM.com for convenient links. Seize the GM is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. All copyrighted material referenced herein are held by the respective owners. No infringement intended and no claim of ownership is Once again, thanks to you, our listeners. We hope you gained some ideas for your ongoing games. Or the inspiration to run your first. Now get out there and play some games. Roll some dice. Be safe, and you'll hear from us again soon.